Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode, I don't even know what episode it is, but effectively it's uh, season two, episode three. Uh, welcome back. Hope you're doing well. We're going to talk sports today. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, in sports. This is kind of an unprecedented time for uh, really sports specifically. I mean, all of us, of course, with a pandemic, but uh, sports specifically because we've never had every kind of major sport all bunched up together. Uh, the NBA was supposed to be tipping off their um their next regular season uh in october but that's probably not going to happen until january uh baseball is still on schedule premier league is roughly on schedule um hockey i think is just wrapping up and they are kind of on the same timeline as the nba as well so a lot of messed up stuff as far as timeline but we still have sports to talk about and we're going to talk about them uh i'm joined by willie as always willie how you doing my man oh i'm doing i'm doing great how about you uh hanging in there as we all are so you mentioned uh, you want to talk about Bryson DeChambeau, uh, and we'll we'll get to Bryson a little later. But I think we wanted to flip the order of the show. We usually talk Premier League first, and then baseball, and then we have a third a third section for either you know basketball or or whatever we're feeling like talking about. Um, but we'll we'll start with baseball because we're starting to see the playoff picture take significant shape now. Um, and before I even updated the rundown today, the Blue Jays actually clinched the. Uh, another playoff spot in the AL. So I think the a, I think the American league is pretty much set uh, with three teams from the East and three teams from the central. Um, I think the central division has yet to be decided, but yeah, between the twins, the white Sox and the Indians, we'll get, we'll let you talk about the Indians a little bit. Cause I know you're a big, big Cleveland guy. Uh, so last week we talked about who we thought was going to win the world series. Um, I think I don't. Did you pick the Padres, or did you mention they'd be just a team to watch? I think. You know, I did pick the. Padres. You did pick the Padres. I did pick the Padres, yeah. but I'm having I'm having a little second thoughts. Yeah, especially and it it's the because. Exactly. I was about. Whole situation. I think mm. them look. They have a, a deep rotation with five starters, but they have two top of the line starters this season with Clevenger and Lamette, and I'll I'll put. Um, you know, Paddock in there, assuming he can, because he's got great stuff. But um, if Clevenger with that tendonitis uh, can't pitch, that changes the whole outlook for me. Yeah, no, definitely. There's there's uh, an element. And, and and I just want to say, particularly, you know, he's the only guy with playoff experience, mm-hmm. bona fide playoff experience. Like you know, other than maybe Machado and Hosmer, you know, no one, particularly in the pitching staff, really has much experience mm-hmm. yeah it's a young team and it's i still i still do kind of like the pick for for you for the padres i mean it's they are kind of the uh the quote-unquote the sexy team right now if you will yeah. uh, to be a fan of they're they're making baseball fun again um slam yeah. diego as the mccall because they've hit a, a, <laughs> too many grand slams this year uh and honestly i'm a big fan but that's kind of besides the point what we're really trying to get at is um well what i was trying to get at is i picked the yankees and okay. It's funny that I picked the Yankees because the team that ended up winning the American League East is, in fact, not the New York Yankees. It's not the Yankees. For the first time since 2010, I think they said it was, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are American League East division champs. Incredible. I mean, I will say, you know, it's how entertaining have the games between those two teams been, by the way. And the right right now, I think the Yankees are in that 4-5 slot. So, I mean, they could potentially match up in the second round. Mm-hmm. That would be exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, 
playoff vibe type matchups going on, especially when you have a 60 game season, but particularly in the AL East, watching the Rays and the Yankees go at it all season. Uh, this year, obviously, being different with all of the uh, league and interleague games being pigeonholed um, within the, the division, the coast, if you will. So American League East is going to play within the division and then they'll play the National League East, AL Central, National League Central, so on and so forth. Uh, so they played more frequently uh, than they played other teams as they usually do, but it feels like they that's one of the only teams they played. And I don't know, just watching watching those games was... It had they had, they had playoff vibes from basically the very beginning. I mean, every game kind of feels like a must win, um, and this one in particular because these are these are the two teams that are going to go toe to toe at the top of the division. And obviously, the Rays coming out on top is a big upset considering how much the, uh, the Yankees spent on Garrett Cole in the offseason. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's incredible what Tampa Bay can do with a low payroll, and it's just they they found the model, particularly with all these relief pitchers they have, and they they can. They put together a team. You know, I think one thing that's true in baseball is if you, you know, the small market teams can really, they can if they can find good pitchers, you know, they can be competitive. Yeah, and and they've been a team who's who's chugged out. Uh, they've been able to chug out consistently some of the best uh, bullpens we've seen, some of the best starters yeah. we've seen, and it it's really just a testament to how well run the organization is. I think there's there's not yeah. a lot of other teams in baseball who kind of have that similar approach to building yeah. building backwards and they don't they don't really have one guy they could it could be anybody from that team showing up on um showing up late in the game seventh eighth ninth inning high leverage situations save situations and no matter who it is they they come in and shut the game down um i don't even know what the statistics are as far as bullpen era but there's has to be in the top five in the majors i think uh, they were fifth or sixth yeah and if it's not top five or six they I would argue just from a from a feel perspective, and this is someone who didn't play baseball past seventh grade, but they have some of the nastiest, just raw stuff of any other team uh, in baseball, just on the whole. I mean, the Yankees, obviously, with Aroldis Chapman throwing 100 from the left side, yeah. uh, Zach Britton throwing uh, just all kinds of sinkers and two-seamers, um, and then the, the White Sox new uh, reliever, the young guy throwing a, what it looks like an easy 102. <laughs> yep. That's right. From the left side, and that's always going to pay. That's always going to play. So there's a lot, a lot of uh, contenders, I guess, for for good bullpens. But really, it's it's it always comes down to the Rays, and that that's kind of the way they have to do it, just because they don't have the financial flexibility or the financial mm-hmm. strength of uh, you know Boston, New York, uh, L.A., Houston to an extent. Uh, so it's it's good it's good to see a small market team to an extent. Uh, that said, I do have uh, my own personal issues with the Rays, but we're not going to talk about those uh, at least on <laughs> this episode. We'll we'll save those maybe for when they win the World Series. Sure, um, they really could. they really could. I mean, you know, they. I, I think what's really impressive is you know, you you figured with the Rays coming into the year, particularly based on last year, they'd have you know lots of good pitching, but they've been able to survive some injuries on on the in the lineup spot and they have a lot of really, you know, underrated players with, you know, Brandon Lau and Rosarina and, you know, timely, uh, probably enough hitting to get by. So, you know, I, I think when, when you, they're a very balanced team. Mm-hmm. Do you think they've moved past the whole fringe contender thing? And do you think they are actually legitimate contenders for the world series this year? I do. I, I absolutely do. And I think, you know, the experience, 
um, last year of you know being in a really close series against Houston. Um, and I, I yeah, I absolutely do own. I, I definitely think they're contenders. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree as well. Just they, it, this year just seems different from all the other re- years we've seen the Rays uh, make the playoffs, at least in the last, mm-hmm. I don't know, seven or eight since since their run in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really just feels like this time is different. And we saw we saw evidence of it last year in the wild card game. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, this year just feels a little different. It just feels like they don't have the, uh, the noticeable flaws um, that, can't be compensated for in October. There are some teams where, and we'll talk about these a little later, but they do have some pretty glaring flaws. Um, sure. um, I'm talking about you, Atlanta, um, <laughs> but that's, that's neither here nor there. So the Rays obviously going to be uh, one of the top teams vying for the world series title. The Yankees uh, clinching a playoff spot. And just today, the blue Jays uh, yep. creating uh, or not creating. That could um, be, they're a, they're a, a, a a sneaky team mm-hmm. slash the Blue Jays. I yeah, mean, they're, they're one to watch for sure. I'm I'm excited to see what they do in in the first round because it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be exciting watching Bo Bichette, Vladdy, uh, Lourdes Griel, uh, Gavin Biggio, oh. Gavin Biggio, all those guys. Just the the young core they have that seems to fear nothing. And then obviously at the top of the rotation, Hunjin Ryu from formerly of the Dodgers, and um, he's had a, a bit of an injury history, and I think this year it's still affected him not as as significantly as in past years but mm-hmm. last year obviously we saw what he's capable of and this year yeah uh, i think he showed exactly why he got paid the way he did um just you know not he didn't have like a, a cy young type season but he yeah. still had a very solid season for what they paid and i think they're gonna be better than people expect um especially mm-hmm. if you haven't been following baseball as closely as i guess you and i have um but i ultimately i don't think they have the the tools to make it past the second round. I mean, I've been wrong about this before, obviously, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I do want to move on to the Central and the West, though, before we before sure. we uh, spend too much time on the AL East. Uh, the AL Central this year, it, it yeah. always feels like this division has been one team and just garbage behind it. Uh, I think the last, last year, was it the Twins and the Indians a close second and then everyone else was garbage? Yeah, it was an incredible race last year. Mm. Absolutely incredible race. Um yeah, no, this Central is a really, I mean, it's a really um, close, uh, it's a really close division. And I mean, you know, I'm really hoping the the Indians don't have to play the Yankees in the first round. And I think that they would if they leapfrogged Chicago. But I mean, while we're at it, I do want to talk about the Indians a little bit. Yeah, um, no, this is, this is your time to this, shine. This, okay, well, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, like, kind of like you share a lot of commonalities with the Braves, you know, lots of playoff runs now, um, you know, came up short, obviously, you know, got to seven games in the World Series, you know, but um, this is a team that's peaking at the right time right now. They've won five straight games, and, you know, they're, they're very reminiscent of past Cleveland teams in the sense that they have great pitching, and you always wonder, do you really have a deep enough lineup to go far? But they're peaking at the right time. And, you know, they're an extremely balanced team. I mean, you know, they've got elite starting pitching. I mean, you've got, um, you know, Bieber, you know, has been incredible. He's got the Biebs, Cy Young candidate. Yep. So you've got a really good, you know, you've got a good rotation, as you'd expect. You have lots of great pitchers in the bullpen, and they're going to move uh, McKinsey back, who's one of their 
top young players to the bullpen probably. And um, in terms of the offense, I mean, they have – they actually have had some – some if they can just get some more role players to play well, they can do it. I mean, they, they added Cesar Hernandez, so they have a good top of the lineup. You know, Jose Ramirez is playing like an MVP. You know, you've got Lindor. Um, but if they can just get some contributions from the guys that aren't performing, you know, maybe some from Fran Ramirez, Josh Naylor, Mercado – they have enough. I, I mean, they, they really don't have a great offense, but they're playing well right now. And I, I think they really have enough to make some noise. Yeah, I mean, the old adage in the old adage in baseball is always, it, it doesn't matter how you do over 162 games if you make the playoffs. It just depends when you get hot. And they're getting, yeah. it seems like they're getting hot at the right time, which is, which is, feels like it's kind of funny to say because it, only a couple weeks ago, I feel like baseball Twitter was just kind of collectively yeah. laughing at the Indians because they felt like, you know, the Indians weren't going to be able to win a game, let alone make the playoffs. And yet here we are a couple of weeks later and they're in prime position to make, not just make the playoffs, make a run as well. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that they, you know, gosh, if they drew the Yankees in the first round, that would be tough. Yeah. But, you know, they, they have, you know, they just have a, they have a a very complete team. And, I mean, hey, you never know. With Francona maybe coming back, that could be the energy boost they have. Carrasco, you know, all the things he's been through, pitching as well as he has really in his career. Um, you know, I think Playsack has gotten back from, from his mistake. Um, they, I think they, yeah, man, I mean, I think the ingredients are there. And, you know, if you look at what happened last year with Washington – um, they were just hot at the right time. I mean, through the first two months of the season, they were one of the worst teams in the National League. And look, Cleveland's hot right now. They could absolutely make some noise. And also, like, I just want to say, like, you know, over the course of an 162-game season, you know, you, you'd think that talent would show through. And I would look at the Yankees and be a lot more confident with them. I think we can all agree they're the best team. But in a, you know, a short season where they've been playing well now, but, you know, they haven't, you know, been able to do it consistently. Um, that also gives them an edge. Yeah, I think the the one thing for, for those of us who do enjoy watching 162 games a year, uh, yeah. the one thing that we're going to maybe not love, and this is something that the commissioner's office, who I think, uh, I can't remember where they stand on uh, expanding or shortening the season, but this is a great argument for shortening the season. Uh, yeah. this, this is one of those things that it it gives a lot of firepower to the idea that if you just tweak baseball a little bit and just shorten it enough so that it's not just a slog for 162 games, but it's actually a little faster. I think that might actually draw more people to it, but for now we're still the regular, you know, the status quo is 162 games and then whatever happens after that is, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I I think it's more entertaining to the fans. I don't think uh, it's as fair for sure. Particularly also with, like, uh, the first round being such a short series. Mm-hmm. Like, it really, you know. But I think if for fans, it's very interesting. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't love, though. It's This year specifically, it's kind of, it, it almost feels like it's turning into the NBA, where more than yeah. half of the teams in the entire league make the playoffs. Um, yeah. So is- that, that can tell you more about a team making the playoffs than anything. It, it kind of takes some meaning away from making the playoffs. I agree. Uh, unless you're one of the top teams. I 
to be honest, that's the th- yeah, that's the thing I really don't like. I mean, because you know, you should be rewarded, you know, for playing normally over a long season. You should really be rewarded by it. Look, like you know, these teams that get in the playoffs, they can absolutely win. But you know, you the regular season should mean something. Yeah. You know? It really should. Yeah, and you do have to play well in the regular season to prove that you are some of the best and you deserve to play in October, but sometimes that's just not the case. Absolutely. I do want to move on. Uh, before Actually, before we finish up with the AL Central, I do want to to, to shout out the White Sox uh, and yeah. Lucas Giolito. It feels like they've kind of been MIA since 2005, but I feel like the the this White Sox team is back and they're here to stay. I feel like they're a lot younger than they were in 2005 mm-hmm. on the whole. Uh, they have pieces who, if they continue on the trajectory they are on right now, it's going to be a very mm-hmm. scary prospect for any oh, team, yeah. not just other teams in the division. Uh, yeah. And they have a guy in Lucas Giolito who is really yeah. turning into an ace. He's he becoming more of a pitcher and less of a thrower, which for someone with his stuff, uh, if, if he – can just get a little more command of all of his pitches, including his secondary pitches, it's going to be a very scary time for everyone else in the AL Central. Oh, he's great. And also, um, wouldn't you like if the Braves still had Keiko? Uh, we're going to get to the Braves a little later, trust me. We're going to get to them a, we're going to get to them a little later. But, you know, Keiko is having a very good season. Mm. Having a very good season. Yeah. You, know, you never know. You never know. You really never know. Um, I haven't really talked about the Twins a whole lot, but I feel like they're they're kind of the same place they were last year. They're just a very solid team all around. Uh, yeah. The question is always going to be, though, uh, what is what is the rotation after uh, Barrios? Yeah. After Jose Barrios, what's the rotation? And I completely agree. If I, they I answer that question this October, then great, we'll have we'll have an answer. But for right now, on the outside looking in, of course, we don't we don't know. I mean, you and I don't really follow the Twins as much. I mean, I'm sure you do a little more just because of the yeah. Central team, but it just doesn't feel like they have the the pieces. Um, even though they are a good team, and Rocco Baldelli, I feel like is is a really good yeah. manager. Uh, but it just I don't know. It just has that same feel to it as it did last year. Yeah, I think you know, um, and it was so it was so cool watching. I mean, I watched a lot of the Twins last year, and uh, yeah, I think you know they. One thing, and, and it kind of reminds me of, of golf in a little bit, in the sense that you know, in golf you don't statistically necessarily to to do well every time, you know, be great through the bag, but to win you do. And I think it's the same thing with you know Minnesota. Like you can get by with great hitting in the regular season, in the postseason you got to have some pitching, and or you just got to have guys that pitch well at the right time. Yeah, and yeah. It's either you have to be a complete team or you have to get hot at the exact right time. Exactly. Uh, That's what it's up. And there's a team in the AL West, as we transition out there, that is familiar with both of those things, and that <laughs> is the Oakland A's. They are. Very familiar at being top dog for the entire season, and they're very familiar with getting hot at the right time. I think the A's have been one of those teams over the last few years, very yep. up and down as far as how they are through the course of a season, but they always show up at the end of it. They always show up with a chance. Um, the one really shitty thing, though, this year is Matt Chapman is out. Uh, and he's yep. always a big part of their team, whether it's defensively at third base or at the plate. So that's going to be a, a huge loss for them. Yeah, I mean, he he's an unbelievable player. Yeah, no, I mean, I think... And look, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, in 162-game season, I mean, even with the injuries, I would expect the Astros to contend more. But, I mean, hey, they... I hate to say it, but um, yeah, look, they, they're right there and they're flying under the radar. So you never know. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a team as consistently good as the A's have been over the last few years fly under as far under the radar as they have. Now, granted, they haven't made the ALCS, uh, but, yep. you know, they, they're around every year, and it's it's really only a matter of time before they, they break down the door and, and really sure. make some noise going into October. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, um, they, they got looked – last year I thought they were really good. And they, they mm-hmm. just got unlucky. They lost. I, I don't like see. I don't like that second wild card game. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's fair. No, I, um, I agree. But yeah, I mean they're right there. And um, but look, look. I think they're they're pounding down the door. Like you said, I, I think they've got a very good chance too. I don't I don't really know what to make the American League. I think if you would ask everyone two months ago, you would have said clear at the beginning of the season, Yankees and Dodgers clear mm-hmm. front row. Yep. For the World Series. Now I I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. The, the American League this year is a complete and total toss-up, and that's kind of a good thing because yep. the American League over the last few years has been Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, Astros, yep. and that's it. No one else is really threatened. I mean, it really, just Red Sox, Yankees, Astros. Mm-hmm. No one else is really threatened uh, to, to win a World Series like those three. Yeah. Um, and no, really, I, really I, just I, Boston and, and, and Houston. New York hasn't made a World Series since 2009. What? Who said that? Um, I know, right? It's funny you mentioned the Astros before I did because I did want to save um, – I did want to save clowning the Astros for one section. But, you know, there's always enough time in one podcast to clown the Astros twice. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to clown the Astros twice. Okay. Uh, you know, with a team, a team that, you know, made it that far in October – three years in a row plus 2015 you really hate to see it it's it's almost like and and hear me out on this willie um shout out to harrison in the chat really you you would have thought they would have seen it coming no (laughs) it's it's one of those things where it's like you you really want to imagine what if had uh had they not stolen signs yeah. and still won a World Series, but we're never going to live. It's like Barry Bonds and Sarah's. We're never going to live in that reality, even That's though it. that would be a cool reality to explore. That said, uh, they really didn't see it coming. Uh, none of us saw it coming, which I think is a good thing, though, because watching the Astros flounder this year has been one of the, the highlights of a pretty miserable 2020. Yeah, no, I mean... Um... I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are very excited. They're not doing very well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, like, let's let's be honest, right? I mean, the sign, right? It's such a huge advantage to know what's coming at the plate through the cameras or the buzzers. And I mean, look, it we we really should talk about how much it does make difference. Because look, the Astros for the last few years have been historically good. And so, look, of course they're all good players, but the difference that potential edge up could have taken them from a good to a great team. We won't know, but it's, it's very possible. Very. It's not, it's not like steroids where you still got to make contact with the ball and maybe those muscles take a long way, but if you know it's coming, you can make contact. Yeah. I mean, if you ask anyone who either understands or played the game at any level, you understand that the hardest thing about hitting is trying to figure out, where something is going to be and what kind of pitch it is at the highest level. That's the, the most important thing as a hitter. And if yep. you take that guessing game away, uh, it's, it's not going to end well. Uh, Harrison 
actually in the chat before before we move on to the AL or <laughs> NL. This is actually a perfect segue. Um, Harrison in the chat, a good good family friend of mine, known him for forever, uh, and good friends with Willie as well. Uh, he wants a future guest spot on the show. We were actually talking about this before uh, yeah. Yeah. earlier in the show. We're gonna have you on at some point. Yeah. My thinking is immediately after the Braves inevitably choke away a playoff series for the umpteenth time over and over again, just because it's what we do. It's a, it's Atlanta sports in a nutshell. It's what we do. Um, so we'll we'll have two Atlanta sports fans to uh, to collectively whine about uh, our city be- and rightly so. We, we can you know if you want we can have a whole podcast dedicated to what it's like to be in Atlanta. And dog sports fan. That could be that could be me just doing a podcast for hours and hours and hours, and it'll be the same content over and over. But it's it's such it's there's so much content when you when you look at every series really that is, every really. team in the state of Georgia, not just Atlanta, but the state of Georgia has played over the yeah. last nineteen years. Nineteen years. Mm-hmm. The Braves haven't won a playoff series since 2001. The Atlanta mm-hmm. Hawks exist, uh, not counting <laughs> the fact that they were swept by LeBron's Cavs in 2015, I think it was, when they had the best yeah. record in the league or in the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah. Atlanta United is kind of an outlier because the city yeah. goes really hard and the state goes really hard for Atlanta, but the rest of the country doesn't go hard for MLS, so <laughs> it's not it's not all that great. Yeah, like Harrison's saying in the chat, we sold our hockey team to Canada. The Winnipeg yeah, Jets used to play in Atlanta. Now we don't have a hockey team. Yeah. Um, Georgia blew a twenty to six lead uh, yeah. against Alabama. Now, granted, it's Alabama, and the guy who led Alabama to that title is now playing in the NFL. But that's neither here nor there. That's a game Georgia really should have won. Um, yep. Second and twenty six to give up that kind of play is stupid. Um, but we'll talk about the dogs uh, when they start playing. Yeah. And finally, everyone's favorite, the Atlanta Falcons, twenty eight to three, baby. Ah, gotta love it. Oh, at, at this point, I'm just laughing about it because it's like, like it, 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 the 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 names change, but the story is still the same. Yeah, it's no. it always is like that, and it always will be like that. I guarantee you, guarantee you. Man, that that game will go down in history. That game yeah, will go down in history. yeah, no, it is, and we're on the wrong side of history. And again. you know what's funny? You know what's funny, man? Like I'm gonna be honest, like. So that game was historic for the way they choked. But I really just don't think we look at it the same way if it wasn't an Atlanta team. Like, I got to be honest. Like, if it wasn't, we'd just be like, man, you remember that crazy comeback? But now it's like Atlanta. They choked. They just can never get over the hump. That's, that's all they do. And, yeah, no, Matt Stafford against Bama in the championship game when he was at Georgia. I mean, oh, how, how far back do you want to go? Like, we could, we could do this yeah. for hours, literally, of all the times Atlanta teams have choked in the moment, or Atlanta slash Georgia teams have choked at the moment it matters. Uh, just, just to have basically one hand, literally one hand and four fingers on the trophy in Super Bowl 51 just to let it slip like that. I mean, honestly, if, if you ask me, Dan Quinn should have been fired on Sunday night. Uh, Julio Jones deserves better. Um, Matt Ryan's not a championship quarterback. And they have Calvin Ridley. Deion Jones deserves better. Keanu Neal deserves better. All of our good players, all of our solid defensive players and offensive players, they all deserve better than than whatever the rest of the team is. It's just it's a dumpster fire. 
the wow. organization is a dumpster fire. And Arthur Blake, you know, he's I love I love Uncle Arthur. He's a Falcons fan. He brought Atlanta. You know, he brought MLS to Atlanta. He brought the. <laughs> I don't know. It's. You know what's crazy, man? And I just want to talk about, like, you know what's crazy is, like, um, sometimes, like, when you're a fan and you watch teams, like, mm-hmm. in the, go through playoffs, you just think that there's something really, you, you just get the feeling sometimes, man, this is their year, they're going to do it. And I remember watching that, and I remember uh, when they beat the Eagles, I was like, okay, like, you know, they survived the close game against the Eagles. Like, this is going to be, like, their team and then they had it and they uh they messed up <laughs> they they messed up big time and, it, and it's and it's look it's not like the indians blowing a 3-1 lead or like you know the warriors or like it's different each game is a new game but that game they just had one half <laughs> just play well that's honestly honestly half. uh like, and this is a take i haven't backed down from and i will not back down from this take um that blame right there is on a one Kyle Shanahan. And if you didn't see this year's Super Bowl coming, then I got news for you. You don't know who that coach is because he has a he has a beloved history of being wow. a great coach in the regular season and then folding right when it matters. Gotta love Kyle Shanahan. He took it to the promised land and then took it right away from us. Because I completely forgot about that. He, he went for the kill and subsequently... I, I I still, I mean, this was three years ago, th- three and a half years ago. I still can't get over why, why we would run the ball. Hmm. Why, why we wouldn't run the ball with a 25 point lead against the new England Patriots. I, I don't know. You know I, I could go on another rant about are, Atlanta sports, but we should say that for another man, time. You know what, man? There are, it's just like, there are. There, that's what, it, what happens when you get into coaching, man. There are plays that will, you make tough calls and you get them wrong. I mean, when I mean, I'm sure Pete Carroll thinks about that that decision to throw the ball, you know, all the time. Um, you know, that, this is what happens in coaching, man. This is what happens in coaching. Yeah, no, I understand. It's always a story of what if. Um, shout out to Kurt as well in the chat for uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome back. Um, it's it's always a case of what ifs, but. When you look at Kyle Shanahan, and I'm promised this is the last thing we'll say about uh, Atlanta sports teams not named the Braves, because the Braves won the division for the 20th time, which is the most of any team in baseball, and yet they're still getting it knocked down the first round. That's not the point. The point is Kyle Shanahan in that Super Bowl decided, you know what? It's a really good idea for me to not play the odds and just go for the kill. Let's, let's go super aggressive. Um, this is like a team that's up 3-0 three, three at halftime. <laughs> sending all their players forward to try to win five nil and losing like five, four. It's, it's, it's oh, stupid. Dude. I hate it with a passion. I hate it. Yeah. I mean, dang, it's like you, you get in that moment, right. And everything is before you and you just have a, a momentary lapse. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, for the Falcons is a little more than momentary, but uh, that's besides but the I, point. I, like, are you surprised? Let me ask you this question though, right? How often in sports, teams all the time will, will make runs and come back, but a lot of times the team that's ahead will just hold on. Like, were you surprised they outright lost the game? No. I was I was not surprised that they nope. made a comeback. Nope. I was surprised they lost the game, like, outright. <laughs> no. no, no surprise whatsoever. No surprise. Like, you, you knew it wasn't going to be 28-3 to forever, 
like the Patriots are going to score again, but but anyone who has watched an Atlanta sports team play in the playoffs knows exactly how this story ends every single time, every (laughs) single time. I would rather be a Rams fan right now, Kurt. I got to be honest with you. I would rather be a Rams fan. Willie, I don't know if you would agree uh, because the Browns are actually on an upward trajectory now. Um, it, it looks like based off the off the backs of that performance against uh, Cincinnati, um, probably. But, you know, yeah. it, it feels like they're they're starting to um, put together a solid identity, and that's something mm-hmm. the Browns haven't had for a while. I don't mean to talk too much football, but I, anyways, yeah. I would rather not be an Atlanta sports fan. Taking this back to the Braves, um, back on our baseball uh, topic, um, I talked about this last week for hours and hours. Um, the Braves. No chance of winning the World Series, if you ask me. Uh, this is another first-round exit waiting to happen. And when that does, Harrison, you're going to come on the podcast, and we're going to collectively moan about Atlanta sports again. What are you going to do? So is Max Fried going to be able to pitch now? Uh, they're, the most recent thing I read is that they're going to make they're going to do everything they can to make sure he's ready for Game 1. Um, they're going to try to rest him and, and preserve that ankle as, as best they can. But um, honestly, I don't know. At this point, I don't know if I'd want him to start Game 1. Um, just because of that injury history. But then again, like I was saying last week, who do you turn to? Do you turn to Tuki Toussaint? Do you turn to Sean Newcomb? Do you turn to turn to any other um, any other pitcher on that staff? I mean, you can't... Do you give the ball to a rookie who has, what, three, four starts in his major league career? What? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Yeah, that's that's just so unlucky, man. Yeah, Freed's an un- incredible pitcher. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, damn. Guys in the chat saying we need to get to affiliate. Uh, yeah, I I agree, and that's that's what we're trying to get. So uh, spread the good word of uh, your boy Boba Poppy every Thursday night, giving you these hot takes only. Uh, Atlanta sports takes, Cleveland sports takes, whatever you want to call them, they're hot. Okay. Um, so I do want to I do want to wrap up baseball though because we've been spending a lot of time uh, talking okay. about it and I do want to get to uh, some of the awards and stuff and then Premier League and then we'll talk golf a little bit. Um, with the Central, the Cubs, they look solid. They look they don't look like the team that won in 2016, but they do look like a solid franchise. They look like a sure. solid team this year. I think they have they could make the World Series, but I think ultimately it'll still be the Dodgers for hmm. for whatever reason. But you never you never know. Yeah, yeah. They you know what man they. Um... I, I don't like their chances particularly. First of all, I think that, you know, they're they're not as good as the Padres or the Dodgers. And I, I think the Dodgers are really going to be on the mission. But, yeah, you know what? They, they they got a lot of guys struggling from the plate this year. Um, they, they I think they, ha- they have one of the lowest-ranked offenses in the MLB. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think, like, they have some, you know, like they've got Darvish and they've got Hendricks. But, you know, compared to a team like Cleveland that's just loaded in the bullpen and the start and the rotation, you know, I would feel for offense, with the way their their team is struggling, I, I don't really particularly like their chances. Yeah, and, and even a team like the Dodgers, who they don't have the deepest pitching staff, in my yeah. personal opinion, and we'll talk about the Dodgers a little later, um, they, it, they, they make up for it with the deepest lineup. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's not, you know... No, it's in, yeah, no, absolutely, it's, it's incredible. It's it, um, yeah, they they um, you know, I I think that the it's and what's incredible about the Dodgers, they just they can get from the minor leagues or through trades, they can get all these players. I mean, the Cubs have all these guys they, that have been around for a while. You know, the Rizzo's, the um, you know, all all, all these guys, the Haywards, like you know, they they the Dodgers 
can just constantly freshen up the team. <laughs> yeah. No, they've got they've got depth that I would argue no other team has. Maybe the Yankees, but no other team has the kind of depth they have, and they look like a complete team. For most people, I again would argue that their bullpen is still lacking, and mm-hmm. and does need help. Um, yeah, no, being an Angels fan is probably not great right now either, Kurt. I mm-hmm. I totally hear you, especially the money they've they've dropped with uh, Otani yeah. and Rendon and Trout, yeah. especially. But uh, I feel like it's always their their one piece from putting it all together. Yeah, but they just can't find whatever piece that is. It's always something different every year, and it's it's not it's not their hitting particularly in the, no, the, the one or two hole occupied by one Mike Trout. But it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll get no, to the Angels a little later. Sure. I mean, look, they're, the Dodgers are so good. And uh, look, they, they, they really could do it. If, they can, if some of those pitchers can just get hot in the bullpen, they'll be fine. And, you know, Bueller made a start. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't look, he didn't pitch that long. But if he, you know, they've got, they've got a chance. Absolutely, this the door is wide open right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at you look at around the league. I mean, yes, I like I said, I, I like the Padres, but I mean, this is the door as wi- as wide open as you could get, honestly. So mm-hmm. they've got a great chance. All right, Willie, we're gonna we're gonna go to the crystal ball, the magic Willie Kniezner crystal ball. Okay. All right, which Clayton Kershaw are we getting this October? Are we getting vintage Cy Young Award winning Clayton Kershaw, or are we getting playoff Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs? You know what, I actually think we're going to get right somewhere right in the middle. I think he's going to be solid. I mean, gosh, he's looked good. But I think I think he's going to be he's going to have a really solid year. I, I just believe it. What about you? Honestly, I, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent on Kershaw just because he's he's one of those guys who in October, for whatever reason, yep. there's a heightened pressure on him because he is so good to throw one pitch one yeah. fastball and he doesn't have the life on his fastball that he did when he came up. I mean, he's, he's sitting low nineties these days, which is fine when you have a curveball that plays like he's that uptick this year though, a little bit mm. like he's, he's, he's compared to the last couple of years. He's got, he's a little up, which is a good sign. Yeah. And I think a shorter season works well for Kershaw as well, just because yeah. his, his mechanics just don't lead themselves to long seasons because of how many times he has to lift his legs. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm D- Dallas Braden actually broke that down on starting nine, the barstool uh, baseball uh, podcast. Yeah. Oh. He talked about that as being one of the things that mechanically he doesn't love about Clayton Kershaw um, just because it's of all the strain it puts on the legs and the core and the back. Yeah. And that's why he's had so many injuries over his career. Um, and, and that's, that's obviously Dallas Braden's, Dallas Braden's perspective. And his left arm basically fell off after he pitched that perfect game on uh, on Mother's Day back in, back in 2010. Well then maybe the short season is going to help him a lot. Yeah, I think so. I, I think what we're going to get, we're going to get playoff Kershaw. I think this year, I, I, I feel so? like, I feel like there is going to be an instance where he leaves a, either one of his sliders or a fastball out over the plate. Just one mistake. All that takes, all it takes for him to kind of come unraveled is that one mistake that gets punished in a big, big way. Yeah. And with the teams that, I mean, you look at the teams that the Dodgers are going to have to plate on their way to the world series. Uh, all of those teams have really deep lineups and all of yeah. those hitters, are very good hitters. <laughs> I no, mean, right. it's every every team has a really deep lineup. I mean, the oh, Padres no, I, with. I, I, oh, good. No, I was going to say. I mean, for whatever reason, um, his ERA against the if they were to play the Giants, like he's an incredible ERA against the Giants for whatever reason. It's like all time great against like 
It's like one of the best against one team. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, that's true. Yeah. No, so Harrison saying that one game of Cole Hamels was worth it. Honestly, no, at this point, I don't even I don't even care with about the Braves what they do with the rotation because it's not it's not good enough. They, whatever reason they can't they can't groom good enough pitching as consistently as they need to. Um, and we can thank John Hart for gutting our uh, major league team to build our <laughs> roster with maybe prospects. All those maybe prospects have turned out to be awful or whoever develops them is not great at their job. They need to go poach. I said this last week, they need to go poach Tampa Bay's head of pitching development or someone prominent in their pitching development department, because they're whatever they're doing in Tampa, they're doing it right. And they're not doing it in Atlanta and they need to be doing it in Atlanta. It's like the one team that really needs consistent bullpen help over and over every single year is, is it's, the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Or another team, you know, the Marlins, like they've, they've got a lot of good young players. Yeah. yeah. I, they absolutely, man. They're, they're just a piece or two away. Like I hate to say it. They're just a piece or two away. Yeah. Pitcher or two away. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's how it is. That's how it's always going to be with Atlanta. Um, but yeah, I, I, we talked about this at the top of the show that the Padres are going to be one to watch as well. Um, yep. Tatis junior, obviously he's the big name, but Hosmer as well. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very quietly, very quietly deep lineup outside of those two. I mean, they're, I'm blanking off the top of my head, uh, but, you know, those are the two that's, that come to mind. But they just, I think um, Hunter Renfro still plays for the Padres. Not football Hunter Renfro. Baseball Hunter Renfro, obviously. <laughs> no. uh, you know, um, you know, Myers and, and Grisham and, um, and I actually, but I will say this, um, they, this is going to sound weird, but you might say like, you're going to maybe laugh at me. <laughs> um, and I know they got Nolan now, but, um, they gave away Austin Hedges mm. to the end and like, you know, he knows he's a, one of the best defensive catchers and knows how to command the game and mm. i i do wonder if that's going to end up costing them yeah i mean it i mean i know he's one of the worst hitting catchers but you know these guys really had value i think mm-hmm. no i i agree i mean and now i'm i'm happy i looked this up while we're on stream because uh looking at the roster again i realized why i miss i don't i don't remember why i missed so many of them obviously manny machado is the other big one the big yep. big contract will myers mitch moreland uh, Tommy Pham, Jerks, and Profar. All of these guys have, have been proven talents somewhere uh, at yeah. some point. They've, they've shown flashes of greatness, and I think in the right scenario, at the right time in October, this could be kind of a coming-out party for the San Diego Padres. We'll see. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're, they have a lot of hype, and I think the hype train could kind of work to their to their be a disadvantage to them, but it could work to their advantage as well because they're kind of flying under the radar. as you know They're not the Dodgers. Simple as that. Oh no! But I mean, also shout out. By the way, Tommy Pham is a, a really one of the best players in the game, man. He's, mm-hmm. well, I think maybe one the most underrated player. Yeah, very, I don't know very if quietly. It's hard to say that, but he's he's incredible. Very quietly, one of the best players in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, we're. I mean, October obviously is is next week. Next Thursday is the first. Uh, we're gonna have playoff mm-hmm. baseball right around the corner, so we're super excited for that. Uh, before we yep. before we hop over to the other side of the pond and talk Premier League, mm-hmm. I want to get to um, a new mini segment on the show that I like to call "Things You Hate to See." It, 
we're uh, we're gonna clown a couple teams really quickly um, before we move right. on to the uh, the Premier League section or the awards category, I guess. Um, okay. Things you really hate to see. Well, let's start with the NL East, um, the Washington Nationals. You really hate to see it. A team that kind of accidentally won the World Series uh, <laughs> last place. <laughs> you hate to see it. Um, yeah. The Houston Astros. Did they see that coming? I don't know. Don't hate, Probably don't not. Hate, don't hate <laughs> you to hate to see it. Uh, Boston. Who would have thought Boston would be the worst team in baseball this year? I mean, even they're as someone so who's bad. even they're as someone so who's a Red Sox fan, I'm just like, Ugh, they're really they're bad so, this year. They are so bad. They are they are their worst team in baseball, I think, by record. Uh, at least if they're yeah. if they are not, they're they're one of them. I mean, I think they're they're second or third worst. Uh, last mm-hmm. I checked, but they're. they're Honestly, I think they're probably the worst team in baseball. When you when you yeah. look at the the talent they have on the roster, it's just yeah. underperforming talent all oh. up and down the roster. Yeah, I mean they've fallen the last few years. That's for sure. Yeah, ever since twenty eighteen, it's been all downhill. I mean that's a Dave Dombrowski effect. That's that's what happens when Dave Dombrowski takes charge of a team. They oh, he, he builds a really team. solid team. He they compete for a World team. Series title, and then straight straight down they go. <laughs> he guts the team. Yeah, I saw the stat. It's like. What's their record in ERA in games that uh, Evaldi doesn't pitch? <laughs> it's it's really bad. Yeah, and it's it's like Evaldi and and Martin Perez too. Um, yeah, that's right. Perez has kind of been the ace this year in the absence of Chris yeah. Sale. And yeah, I mean, who? <laughs> you'd be you'd be forgiven for at the start yeah. of the year saying who? Chris Sale is looking like a bad contract. <laughs> yeah, I mean, name it's me good. one of those contracts under the Dave Dombrowski era that wasn't really a bad contract. They were all not great. I mean, David I mean, Price got, is kind of the elephant in the JD room. Martinez. JD Martinez wasn't great. I mean, I mean it wasn't bad. May, maybe Xander Bogarts will be good, oh, but Bo- yeah, oh, he's dude. I love Bogarts. He, I mean, he's a great shortstop, but is he is he going to be that kind of return on investment that that contract would suggest? I don't think so personally, but yeah. you know, we'll we'll see. Who knows. But anyways, um, quickly, I do want to shout out in the awards section before we before we kind of round it off. Um, Trevor Bauer. My God, if he doesn't yeah. win the Cy Young Award, I'm going to be upset um, <laughs> unless it goes to Jacob deGrom. If it goes to deGrom, we'll kind of understand and be like, yeah, it's like it's kind of like giving the MVP look, to Mike Trout. It's like, look, I, I want to be honest. First of all, who knows what would have happened in the 162 game season? Mm-hmm. Because Bauer pitched really well throughout his career at three phases. Mm-hmm. But you're right. And also, I just want to say, like, Shout out to look. I want Degrom to win it. I like Trevor Bauer a lot, mm-hmm. but um, Degrom has been pitching so well for so long, and it has nothing to show for it. You know, got close in that one World Series, but other than that, he's been loyal, and the Mets have not put pieces around him. So I, I would love to see him win it. That a small consolation prize. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure he doesn't really care about the Cy Young hardware as much as he would care about the Commissioner's Trophy. But you know, you know, let's talk about a bad franchise. Let's talk about the Mets. <laughs> they are. A I forgot team. to clown the Mets. What am I doing as a Braves fan? They are a bad. I mean, you know, they're going to uh, change ownership. But gosh, yeah. it's been Mets. for so long. They've Mets going to Mets. God, they ah oh, man, um, man, yeah, they're uh, yeah. I, I mean, got I got yeah, yeah, man. The stuff with Mickey Callaway last year was one of the funniest, craziest things I've seen. Hate to see it. Yeah, I hate to see it. 
I, I completely realized we went almost two full podcasts talking about baseball. We didn't clown the New York Mets. As an Atlanta fan, that's a disappointment. But then again, they haven't really been relevant as far as the playoff picture for a couple of years. Um, so I mean, last year, last year they were close. Yeah, yeah close I mean up. they were they were relevant they were, last year, but not for that second wild card. Spot. Yeah. yeah, I mean they weren't really contending for the the division, which is. Uh, three consecutive years held by the Braves, which is going to be three consecutive years getting knocked out in the first round this year. uh, We're probably going to one up uh, 10 runs in the first inning. I, I can almost guarantee you. I mean, I'm willing to bet right now we're going to, we're going to cough up uh, something ridiculously stupid. It won't be 10 runs in the first inning. I don't think I'll be, I will laugh if it does. I just, I won't be sad. I'll just laugh. Oh man. That would be uh, can't top last year. Yeah. Um, But Really quickly, Trevor Bauer, statistically, this year, I saw this graphic earlier and I just want to share it. Uh, first in ERA this year, 173. First in strikeouts with an even 100. First in whip with a .79. And second in batting average against at 159. So. Yeah, if he didn't if he didn't play with a drone, he'd still be with Cleveland right now. And he'd yep. Be leading us to a World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, but yeah, he's he's been incredible, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, man. It, Bauer or DeGrom for, for, AL, for NL Cy Young. AL... I think I mean, Bauer will win it. I think yeah, Bauer will I think Bauer's... And then, and then Bieber. Shane yeah, Bieber, Bieber for, for the AL. That's he's. If it doesn't go to Shane Bieber, it'll be a travesty, honestly, from oh, yeah. as neutral perspective as you can get from, from either one of us. Uh, I'll, be, he's, I'll be upset. He's been so good this year, and I think he's only going to get better. I think he's younger than both of us by a, a few months. You know, but... Actually, real, real question. Uh, and this is probably... Okay, look, it's probably not close, but... Do you think Shane Bieber is as famous as Justin Bieber in the U.S.? No. Okay. No. Probably not. Mm-mm. That'd be <laughs> funny if it was. And he actually was it last year, or the year before, where he put um, yeah. "Not Justin" on the back of his shirt for Players Weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think I think Justin at a, at the celebrity softball game put <laughs> "Not Just Not Shane" on his back. Yeah, he followed him. It was great. <laughs> yeah. That was a good time. We need we need more like that in baseball. More more stuff like that. We do definitely. But anyways, so that's a look into the uh, the pre October push, if you will. I mean, we could do a whole episode on on yeah. just previewing the uh, the playoffs in baseball, and we very yeah. well might take next uh, next week's podcast to to do a lot of the looking ahead because the series will all be finalized. We'll we'll know what this what the picture is going to look like. And some of the games are already going to be over. I think the Braves could be pretty much done by Thursday. I haven't looked at the schedule, but oh I would imagine based on where we are in the season that the Braves could no be done. Team. Oh my God. I have no faith in Atlanta sports. Oh. I don't, I don't know if it's the, the Falcons losing by a single point against the Cowboys after coughing up a, a 29 <laughs> to 10. I wasn't even watching the game. I was in San Diego with my girlfriend. Uh, I wasn't even watching the game, and yeah. my friend texted me. He's like, I can't believe these idiots. And I'm like, Falcons? <laughs> eh, yeah, I was a big big shock. And then I saw what happened, and I was like, nah, not surprised. This this is a team that's it's made it into a uh, a habit, and they're they're very good at choking. We'll put it that way. If, if there was an award for choking, Atlanta would run away with it every single year. Uh, sadly, they're, they don't give out awards for second place. I can't, yeah, I just can't... Uh... I, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's oh, can I just can I just throw out something cool? Yeah, and I want to look this up to be sure. Uh, okay, so oh, never mind, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I was gonna say, dude, that um, okay, game 
six or seven of the ALCS is on the same day that uh, the dogs play Alabama. And that would be talked about in Atlanta Sports Day right there. Wow. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The Braves Mm-mm. right there trying to go to the World Series and the dogs trying Mm-mm. to beat Alabama. Nope. No thanks. No thanks. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'd rather the Braves not make it there. I'd rather they get they get swept or knocked out early. I don't want to have that happen again. Like, there's only... Because, <sighs> uh, okay, here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, too. And I want to get to Premier League as well because that's something that, thankfully, I don't have to talk about the city of Atlanta sports teams <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. Th- that game, that game has the making of another classic Georgia choke. It just it's early in the season. It's a chance to make a statement against Alabama. No doubt. Harrison, I'm with you. I am ready to get hurt again. It's 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 going to happen again. It's going to be it's going to be like the fail Mary in 2017 against Auburn, the Auburn game or no, that was wow. 2013. Uh Tennessee was the fail Mary, I think, or 2016. <laughs> the the fail Mary. Um it's just the over yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again, but I'm also not ready to get hurt again. So that's the that's the 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 parody I guess we live in, the world of comedy known as Atlanta sports. Yeah, it really is, man. It yeah. really is. Anyways, let's move across the pond where we neither one of us have a uh, physical connection to um, yeah. to the teams. I mean, Willie, I know you lived in in the UK for for a semester for study abroad. Yeah, it was fun. But thankfully, neither one of us are from or have family that are from uh, the UK. So we can talk about this uh, as fans, but not as like hometown fans. That's right. Um, let's start with the game that, uh, that you and I both focused on pretty heavily. Oh, yeah. uh, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, what yeah. did you, what did you think of, of, of Chelsea in that game? What did I think of Chelsea? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know what, Owen? Like, it's like watching the Chelsea defense is like watching Atlanta sports at times. <laughs> you sure? Um, you sure yeah, you want to bark up that tree? You know what? Um, you know what? Uh, I actually was, um, you know what? I, I obviously was disappointed in the individual errors, but um, yeah, my overall takeaway from a Chelsea perspective, I thought, you know, the, the defensive shape again looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then they just made, you know, Keppa and Christensen and Alonso, again, the three suspects made uh, usual suspects made mistakes, um, and I I think they just they're trying to find the best position. I I think Havertz scored a hat trick and they played him as number ten, and I think mm-hmm. that game they just they didn't quite you know they're struggling to gel. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that that was my takeaway. What about from a Liverpool perspective? Um. I was much happier with this performance. Um, obviously, keeping yeah. a clean sheet is is big for Liverpool, especially after giving up three at home to Leeds mm-hmm. on opening weekend. Yeah. But I thought it was just good to to just get everyone, uh, especially the back line, feeling confident again. I think that the one big yeah. takeaway, I think, was uh, when Allison saved the penalty from Jorginho. Um, I think yeah. the commentators were saying that's, good, that's bigger for his confidence than anything and bigger for him because he had been in a pretty significant dip since Liverpool clinched the title. Uh, sure. He had been conceding sure. a lot of goals, and obviously for a goalkeeper of his caliber, that's not what you want to see. And so I think he's going to feel good about it, and that's only good for the team going forward. And then, you know, I I thought it was a pretty 
pretty even game in the first half before the Christensen red card. And even, yes. even so I thought, I mean, I thought, I thought Liverpool was slightly better. Um, I think they mm-hmm. had more possession. I mean, they, they weren't doing anything with the possession they had, but they had a lot yep. of, a lot of the ball, uh, just couldn't have that, that finishing touch. And then obviously mm-hmm. with the, the red card, um, that obviously changes the game. And then Liverpool brings in Tiago in the second half. Uh, yep. and we saw glimpses of what is going to make him so special for this team. Sure. Um, the one thing I like about him is he's he's kind of going to be the the metronome that Liverpool don't have, uh, at least in that sense. Um, Wijnaldum and Henderson can both do that job of just keeping the ball moving when they have it and trying not to get stagnant. Um, but Thiago's just so much more proficient at doing that just because the way he bends balls around defenders, uh, it's yep. the way he's able to to hit passes that that no one else in our midfield can can hit it's going to be huge for, Although Jordan for the rest of the team pass in that, in that game. no I'm yeah pretty- henderson henderson's got that uh that diagonal ball that can be just absolutely lethal yep. uh but at the same time it's it's you can't rely on that every single game because teams are going to be prepared for it so there has to be an element of unpredictability outside of oh, yeah. alexander Arnold robertson and i just think also you know not only he gets on the ball a lot he his speed of play is fast, so even the short passes, he's he's getting the the ball moving. And then, like you said, he ha- really has the ability to unlock. And I mean, even kind of like the hockey assists, like you saw, there's a lot of times he just kind of switched the field. He he definitely adds a new threatening dimension to that midfield. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, you definitely saw you definitely saw it. Right. And and let's make no mistake here, Liverpool did not sign him for him to be a squad player. He's going to be starting pretty much every single game in the league in the Champions League. Uh, barring injury, of course. Threw him in there, right there, like already. Well, so we recorded the podcast last Thursday night, and then Friday was the presser uh, with Klopp. Yeah. And what Klopp said uh, after the transfer was confirmed on Friday, he said, um, "If you guys will let me go, you guys is in the media. If you guys let me go, he's going to go. He's going to come train with us." Um, and so I think, you know, he had been training with Bayern Munich a little bit, and then he went on international yeah. duty with Spain. Yeah. So he had some fitness under the belt, especially after being man of the match in the Champions League final. He had fitness under his belt, but I think the mm-hmm. one thing that was important was for him to just get minutes in the Premier League, getting used to Liverpool's system. And I think it's no—it's not a shock that he played. It's more so I wasn't expecting it as soon. I mean, I was expecting maybe 10 minutes towards the end of the game if it's if it's a one-sided game either way. I uh, just wasn't expecting it Same to be I wasn't a full half, a full, but I guess, half. but I guess with yeah. with ten men with a player of that quality, you want to get him on the pitch sooner rather than later. And I think it was it was a good move to to get him his minutes in that situation. Obviously, you don't want players mm. to come into their debut and just have no confidence whatsoever. I think um, Klopp yeah. bringing on Diogo Jota today, uh, today when he did was the perfect time. Uh, the game sure. was already decided at that point. It was five nil when the, by the time Jota came yep. in, and. Um, He's he's going to be another one of those players who's he's going to add sure. a lot of depth, but at the same time he's not he's not there just to warm the bench. He's there to to score goals and contribute in a meaningful way. Um, but going back to Thiago, yeah, I I'm impressed with what I saw, and I'm not at all surprised by it. But still, it's still impressive nonetheless to to watch that that kind of caliber player. Oh yeah, I mean I think they they Liverpool is a really complete team they have cover at, at every position mm-hmm. and i yeah i just think you know they it 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 definitely like you said it 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 adds a new dimension and and also it just it it livens up that attack a little bit i i don't think we can really underestimate that i mean 
Yes, Liverpool has guys that can come off the bench, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, with the likes of Minamino and with Jota now, but, um, you know, I yeah, I, I think that they, th- this year, you know, like, they're they're going to need guys to just sharpen up the attack a little bit. Um, yeah. I think and, they, they do have yeah. that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, for sure. But I will say the thing with Liverpool... I was very impressed with their energy. If they if they press from the front and they counter press and the midfield controls the game like they did, like they're really hard to beat. And that was the thing I was really concerned about with and I'm curious your take about this after the Leeds United game was, you know, they they were slower, their midfield was getting overrun. I know it's hard against Leeds, but they were they were leaving tons of space in the middle for guys to run into. Um, this was vintage Liverpool. Chelsea really couldn't get out of their end. Um, and as soon as they got lost the ball, they were pressing hard. Um, I mean, that's the that's the Klopp Liverpool right there. Yeah, no, I think the Chelsea game was definitely more indicative of what Liverpool looked like under Klopp. Uh, the four three game was kind of an anomaly just because it was the first game of the season, and and Klopp is notorious for liking really long pre long tough preseasons for his players so that they're ready for the grueling system that he puts them through. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have that this year, so I'm not at all surprised that we came that they came out with that sort of lethargic energy. Um, yeah, it was disappointing, of course, and and by by no means take anything away from Leeds. Uh, Leeds are going to score a lot of goals this year. Yeah, they are against pretty- literally everybody. They're going to score, and they're going to score a lot. Uh, they may concede a lot, but they're going to score a lot of goals. Uh, so we can't take that away from Leeds, especially. And I think you know you still do have to consider that from a Liverpool perspective. Hang on, folks. I think we lost Willie. We're going to edit this out of the podcast. Oh, this is fun. Hold for technical difficulties. Okay. Let's try hanging up. All right, folks. Bear with. We're going to try to get this back up. All right. Are we back? Yeah, we're back. All right, we're back. Um, what was the last thing you said, my dude? Well, well, the last thing you said, you were talking about Leeds. Um, last... Leeds. They're going to score a lot of goals. They're going to concede a lot of goals. Yeah. Take nothing away from them. But I thought it, it wasn't kind of out of nowhere to see what we saw from Liverpool today. Or not yeah. today, against against Leeds versus what we saw against Chelsea. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I also want to um, mention with Liverpool one thing. I mean, shout out to uh, Saudi Omane. I saw, I think I saw a stat online where they said he actually, in the same amount of games, has had more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo did with the Man United. I mean, he is, you know, and and the thing is, is, it, is it's like, you know, he has the ability to just make those moments happen. And and to be honest with you, like sometimes in in you know football, I think this was a a really good example of a game where before the red card, there really wasn't that much between the teams, but all that happens is it takes just a quick play or just a quick moment. And he provides those, you know, he's an incredible player, like world-class player. Yeah. No, I think, I'm sorry, I'm going to move this webcam again so you can see. And he's so consistent. He's never injured. He's, He's, I mean, other than playing, the only games he misses are when the African Cup of Nations is in mm-hmm. season. Um, yeah. 
He's he plays with he's plays with high energy on defense. He's an incredible player on offense. Um, he's just he we just you just can't say enough. And yeah, good of good things about him. He you is the exactly proto. Yeah, exactly. He's the prototypical Klopp player. He's a player who, when he joined from Southampton, he had all the physical attributes yeah. uh, to succeed in that system. And yep. with time, he has gotten better and better and better. Look at every team Klopp coached at Mainz and Dortmund. Every single one of those teams, I guarantee you, when they when the players first signed for that club, they were very unrefined talents. Working yeah. under Klopp is one of the best things that a lot of players can do. And depending on the type of player, he can turn them into world-class players. I mean, yeah. it's it's a combination of man management. It's a combination of tactical awareness. It's a combination of just mm-hmm. understanding the game at a very fundamental level that makes it so that every single time there is a new player uh, in the squad, it's going to be someone with a little bit of unrefined talent, but in the right situation with a little bit of coaching and a little bit of little bit of experience and a little bit of encouragement, he's going to get better. He's going to get better. And Mane is one of those players. Every single year he's been at Liverpool, he's gotten better. Every single year. Statistically, I don't know if that it really backs up the case, but every year from his first game at Arsenal, his first game against Arsenal, all the way until now, he's gotten immensely better. What year did he sign with Liverpool? 2016. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He he signed the summer 2016 for just under 40 million pounds. I think it was like 30, 39, maybe 35. And people were saying, wow, that's a, a lot of money for Sadio Mane. That's a bargain now. You know, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, and a lot of these high, some of the high press Liverpool guys, they're all bargains. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, yeah, Klopp really, like, he he's so unique in the sense that he wants every player, and they happen at different speeds, to be the best that they can be. You know, he's, he's not, he will do what's best for the player as well as the team. I think that's what's really interesting, where it's like a lot of managers, like, they they do what's best for the team, but it's like they're so ruthless to the point that it's like when a player is on like the way out, or when a player's down, it's like it's like it's not it's your responsibility to get back. If you play well, I'm gonna feed you in. But it's Klopp's always looking after the players. He's always trying to get the best out of them, and he will only sit guys, um, and if he thinks it's for their their development and for their best. Use and I think that's why every player's, even like the the periphery. It's not just like the starting players, you know, like the way he's improved and gotten the best out of every starting line of players. But it, it and all the squad feels so involved. Even like the Shakiris, you know, like it's like the you know it's it's just incredible. It's just incredible. The the Oxlade Chamberlains, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, and and I mean it's funny you you mentioned Oxlade Chamberlain because he's actually one of those types of players. Um, Tiago is going to be the exception to this rule. So most players when they sign for Liverpool aren't going to play right away. The only ones who really play right away um, are players that I mean obviously Salah and Mane filled a need, but players who are joining the club at a position that's already basically yeah. filled, they're not going to play right away. But through training and man management, they're going to make it so yeah. that Klopp has a very tough job uh, when he's making his team selection. And that's what he says in his press conferences all the time. He says, I want to have that really tough decision where the player, where I can't, like I have a good problem to have where I have too many good players to pick from. But, but he, he, I, I just want to say this too. They have just, 
they have the perfect like roster of of a team that has depth but is not too big. They've got it exactly right. They have cover at every position, but the team is not too big. Mm-hmm. Like Chelsea has too big of a team. Yeah. And some other teams have it. Like you know, where it's like even like look at the you know Bayern Munich for example, right? Like. Mm-hmm. They can't find time for Lucas Hernandez and Tolisso. Like, you mm-hmm. just can't find time for it. Well, Liverpool, they'll have more time for Tolisso this year, but yeah. They will, they will. But, I mean, in the past. But I guess the point is, like, you know, they they um, they um have just the right amount. Uh, also, uh, Minamino, I think, is going to be a really good player for the team. Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely hear what you're saying. There's, there's a problem at Liverpool that's a good problem to have. Klopp wants that good problem to have, and I think... It's gonna do really well. Um, Minamino yep. scored two goals today. I thought he looked. I thought he looked good. He. I mean, they played against the the tier two yeah. side, a tier three side, sure. a league league one. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought I thought he looked good. I thought he has he. You know, he's still getting comfortable in the team. He scored in the Community Shield. He scored two against today. He's gonna be a, an important player for Liverpool, especially if Mane can't play, if Salah can't play, if Firmino can't play. He's gonna slot right in perfectly, and that's why I people aren't really giving that the respect I think he deserves because he's a proven mm-hmm. goal scorer, at least in, in the, uh, the Austrian league. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. he's, he's going to score goals for Liverpool. He just needs a little bit of time. And there are some scenarios, especially with Liverpool at a, at forward, they're so incredibly deep that you're not going to just nudge those three players off unless you are a world-class top of your game type player. And he's not there yet. He could potentially be there with the right coaching and the right development, but we don't know. But either way, it's hard. I will say this. I will say this, that in... So, this one thing I'm very curious about, I guess, with the attack, is I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with Firmino. Because I think, like, you know, look, you can't... If there's one thing that's true in soccer, like hold-up play... And the way that the center forward links can't be underestimated. But mm. they have so many good players on the bench now, and now that they have Jota too, I, I I know you know he's an outside player, but it's like, you know, with their talent, can you afford to? I mean, you can't go. I, look, I'm surprised he went. You know, he he didn't score like a goal at home for almost the whole year, and mm-hmm. he's still untouchable. You know, I, I do think that I'm curious to see, you know, with Salah and Mane, you kind of always got to leave them on, except mm-hmm. for 70, 75 minute subs for their goal threat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Firmino, if he's not scoring, I'm curious to see what will happen with him. Well, it's it's interesting you bring that up. And I do want to get to the other teams in England. Harrison, don't think I'm not seeing those those uh, dicks you're writing in the chat. I'm, I'm seeing yeah. everything. Uh, just deciding to focus on, on the task Super at hand, bad. talking about Liverpool. Um, Super bad. Yeah. So what I will say about Firmino, though, and this is particularly from a Klopp perspective, uh, Firmino is a player that wasn't really in the Klopp mold, if you will. Klopp never had that kind of player to do it all at strike. I mean, he asks his players to do everything, to press and to counter-press, but Lewandowski is not the type of player to do the Firmino-type job. Lewandowski, he's on the pitch to score goals. He's not there not just to it. hold up play and link up. He not will he will drop deep and, and pick up the ball on the halfway line and even deeper if necessary. But he doesn't do what Firmino does. He just scores goals. So if anything, sure. it show it it Klopp is willing to adapt his team to fit the situation. 
And he burns that thought into his players every single time. And I wouldn't be surprised if, say, Firmino has to miss, miss an extended amount of time. The system changes, not drastically, but just enough so that it becomes unpredictable, but you're still getting the same high-intensity pressing and counter-pressing that has made them so effective over the last few years. Yeah, I think he would if if he was out, they'd tweak it. And like you said, um, you know, Firmino does the defensive work. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's just the only thing to me. I mean, there's only two things to me that can really reason why Liverpool won't do great things in Europe and uh, in the league. One is that. They just their energy levels are too low. They just they can't, you know, the midfielders and the forwards and defenders can't play a high line pressing system. They just don't have the energy or the motivation. And the other thing is, you know, like we saw a couple years ago, where they just they get a little stale offensively in games, and that's where like the issue with Firmino comes in. And Thiago will help, but mm-hmm. you know, look, last year Liverpool. They were historically great, but look, they won a lot of close games and they mm-hmm. had a lot of late goals. Like, you know, those are the margins, you know? So, yeah, it's there's a lot of what ifs with Liverpool. What if yep. they didn't score late goals against Aston Villa, Sheffield United, Wolves away, um, West Ham? West Ham. Yep. What if, what if they didn't do yeah. things late in games that they did? But at the same time, part of it is a mentality that Klopp has tried to instill in the players is that it's incredible, yeah. if you have a situation where you can still win the game, you're still in it. You're still in it. You're never out of it. And yeah. if anything, it's it's just a combination of attention to detail, good man management, good tactical awareness, uh, yeah. Squad morale. It's it's keeping a sense of togetherness within the squad, and I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Tiago and Diogo Jota fit into the squad with Simikas, uh, mm. as well. Simikas, uh, yeah, I think right. from from Greece, the Greek left back. Okay. Who I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, he's going to be good, important for Robertson uh, as far as cover is concerned. So, mm. but you know how well everyone gels together. And do they still keep that sense of kind of togetherness? is going to be something to pay attention to, I think, as as this season goes on, if they are able to get wins late in games like they did last season. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know. That, uh, I'm very curious to see when they have that winning mental, mentality, but, you know, when when they get in those late games, how they'll do. I'll tell you what, that Liverpool-Arsenal game, uh, I don't know what you think about it, but I think it's going to be a heck of a game. I'm very excited for that game. Um, very cautiously because I know Arsenal. Um, I do want to talk about Arsenal a little bit. I know it's going to be tough to talk about Arsenal without the boys, um, but we'll have to do. We'll have to make do. I know. Um, I'm really excited for that game, though. It's it should be one of the best games of this match week. Um, I think of the season. Man. I think yeah. Arsenal playing really well. Arsenal are on a very good upward trajectory, and I think now they have the identity that they haven't had since since Wenger in his prime, and yeah. that I think is going to help them develop not only the current squad they have but future squads to understand that this is the way they want to play and so far Arteta has proven that he's not stubborn he's willing to adapt to different situations it's not end all be all yes he wants to play out of the back like a lot of um, Pep's disciples if you will want to do Mm -hmm. but he's not stubborn and he understands what it takes to win in England and so I think with with Arsenal you have a team that they know how to beat Liverpool because they've done it twice already in 2020. 
So this is entirely possible that this could be uh, Liverpool's first loss at Anfield in forever in the league, yeah. in the league anyway. I, I'll tell you what, I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, Arsenal are on upward trajectory and Liverpool, if they want to repeat, I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams. Yeah, from this agreed, game. agreed. Defensively, Arsenal will have a game plan. I can they assure will. you that. Yeah, they have. They have. They have a defense now. Yeah, they have a shape and they have a defense. Mm-hmm. They they know what they're doing and they're sticking to it. And yep. it'll be really interesting to see how they play. Uh, they played again pretty well at the weekend. They didn't, you know, they didn't blow any. They didn't blow West Ham away, but they got a result in a game where they needed to get a result. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's just what you have to do. And yep. it, you know, two games on the bounce to start the season after beating Liverpool in the community shield, you have to be feeling good if you're an Arsenal fan, but also, you know, to, to a certain extent, you have to temper expectations a little bit. I, yeah, you do. But I look, I think this should be feeling great. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, really I do. Um, it, this, this next team really, I hate talking about this team with a burning passion, but uh, Everton, Everton look good. Oh. Everton look really good. I'm, I'm really upset about it. I'm really upset about how good Everton looks so far. You know, they, yeah. I mean, look, Ancelotti, I think he's always had, look, he's always had the reputation of, you know, great man management. And I just think that, like, Liverpool have a lot of guys. They have enough talent with a good atmosphere and a good manager, like, you know, and the new signings they have, and yeah. that spirit—I mean, they can do a lot of things. Yeah, Th- those three new signings—they've like, already had. They already have in the past. They've already had a decent defense. You know, mm-hmm. it's not amazing, but you know, top half defense. Yeah. And with their three new signings, they got—they—I mean—they just look great, man. They, yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head who I picked uh, for top four, but I think I put Everton in the top six for sure. Did you? Wow. I think I did. Yeah, I think I had Tottenham dropping out and Everton in the top six. Okay. Wow. Um, I mean, it, as much as I hate to say it, especially after watching the first couple games, that looks a lot better, and I don't like it because they were in the relegation zone last year after being beaten five to two at Anfield, and ugh, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't oh like it. God. And Ancelotti's a winner everywhere he's been, so it it it's a it's a it's still bizarre to me that he would choose to manage a club like Everton. They must be paying him like at least a million pounds a week. It's a lot. It's a, I think he's got a huge, yeah, he's got a huge, he's got a, that must be the only reason he's, you know, he's doing, great. he's managing. You know, I gotta it. be honest. I have this feeling and this is completely, completely like in my head. I have no like evidence at all. I think he might want to stay for a few years, at least like three, four or five years and like build them up. Cause like, you know, he when he was a manager in the Serie A for a while at the beginning of his career, ever since the beginning of his career, I mean, he's been managing very good clubs, and I think he's got a chance to really make his imprint, you know? Yeah. No, really I, I agree. I agree as well. Um, a couple other teams we have to talk about as well. We didn't talk about them a lot um, last week because they hadn't played at all, mm. but both Manchester clubs. Yeah. Um, United beating three one at home. You hate to see it. Uh, City winning three one away. You also hate to see it. You know, 
Well, I want to say something about Man City real quick. Yeah. Now, look, you know, Pep Guardiola is an incredible manager, but I'm very, very, very surprised that he's like he he hasn't tried as much what they did in Monday's game, play a four-two-three-one and just have Rodri and and Fernandinho as the midfield destroyers. I mean, talk about that's like as good a balance as you're gonna get. Now, look, John Stones can't play center back, but like if they can just like if they can just get two solid center backs, that's the balance they need right there. Right there. I don't know why they didn't do that before. Yeah, um it's the yeah. <sighs> It's a perfect system for them. It's Laporte perfect. and Ake is their Yeah. That's I mean, that's it. That's yeah. their pairing. It's Ake I mean, and Laporte. I don't know if they they both like to play on the left, so I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I mean, both on their own, in terms of just talent, I don't know about the fit. I think they're they're good enough to be center backs for that team. I do. Yeah. No, there's a lot to uh, like, yeah. a lot to like if you're unfortunately a city fan. But you know, we have yep. we have to be unbiased unbiased uh, columnists, yep. which is actually just a complete Col- contradiction. Uh, but we have to give every team. Their, their props when they deserve it yeah. but we're gonna give every team shit when they deserve it um, and let's give yeah. some Man United some shit because uh, yeah. Ollie's at the wheel you know <laughs> Ollie's at the wheel Ollie's at Dude. the wheel but like okay what is with the feel of soccer or slash football it's so game to game knee jerk like I don't understand you know what I mean like it's like it's like after one game okay they deserve shit for that loss to Palace my prediction looks like it stinks, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I was not expecting that at all though. I was really not expecting that at all. No, I wasn't either. And especially the way they played to end the, uh, end last season, they were yeah, playing, they played well. they're playing really well. Bruno Fernandez and, and Pogba both playing yeah. well, their front players yeah. playing well, but you really hate to see, uh, you really hate to see it. Do you? You really do. do you? you really hate to see it. I don't. I don't like. I hate to see it. <laughs> um, it has. Is there anyone else we missed? Kind of breaking down a little bit uh, before we move on to uh, the U.S. Open because I do want to talk a little bit about golf before we wrap the uh, wrap the pod. Um, Tottenham. I mean Tottenham. Oh, yeah. They, actually, I will say this. On the surface, okay, like the Sun Kane connection is great. And look, you're adding, you have Doherty and you have uh, Semedo. Um, or no, they sorry, they don't have Semedo. Um, they're going to get Reguilon. Mm-hmm. Reguilon. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty good, like, with the way that Mourinho can play defenses and the way that, you know, Reguilon and, um, and Doherty can get forward, like, that's a pretty good looking team right there. I hate yeah. to say it, but like, uh, and Gareth Bale, he's healthy. I, I, was, I was about to ask. Um, but go I mean, run like, with your point. Imagine a, imagine a front three with those outside backs getting forward. Like, I mean, that's a pretty like that's the year two Mourinho that he's looking for right there. Yeah, it it very well could be. My only thing is, and this is particularly with Bale, and that's why I want to. Uh, that's why I want to bring it up. How is Mourinho going to man manage Gareth Bale? 
How is he going to man-manage a player who is shunned by the entire fan base of Real Madrid and the entire hierarchy of Real Madrid? But he's a player, he's a world-class player who is just completely shunned by everybody. He's now he's got a chance to kind of make a, a new career of himself, a new, you know, a new well, lease on life, if you will. But how is Mourinho going to handle me, that? Let me, let me tell you, um, I'm fascinated. But I think he's going to, I think it's going to, it's actually going to go extremely well. You know, like, first of all, I think that they both need each other badly. Like, mm. I just think Bale needs a career resurgence. He wants to leave. Like, Mourinho knows this year's key. And I just want to say, like, when when Mourinho was at Real Madrid, he had one – there was one season where they won the title, and they, they scored record goals. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Mourinho is not known as an offensive coach, but with the right parts, he's showing – that his teams can be awesome. Yeah. So I, I cannot wait. Yeah. Honestly, just cannot. I cannot wait. It's kind of just. It's it's kind of a wonder though that that he hasn't signed Maron Fellaini. <laughs> it's kind of a wonder he hasn't brought Fellaini with him. He loved Fellaini at, at United. He's the perfect Mourinho player, just a complete asshole in midfield. But he's the player you need if you're going to play a Mourinho system. It's just the tree, I mean, and then you can. Float balls up top on the halfway line, have him knock it down for your speedy forwards, and the, then the ball could stick in his afro. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, the less we talk about Tottenham, the better. I think. Uh, I think that's yeah. that's a consensus Although, for pretty much everyone. I will just say one thing: that the the competition of the top six in the Premier League is going to be incredible. I mm-hmm. mean, jeez. Yeah, like I think there's teams. yeah eight Someone or nine teams that. that could realistically make the top six this year. Mm-hmm. So. We had the the most competitive league is getting more competitive. And mm-hmm. honestly, you love to see it. It's crazy. Speaking of things you love to see. So this split opinion, especially among the guys I play golf with on a regular basis, uh, at least that I used yeah. to before the pandemic, I haven't touched a golf yeah. club in like three months. Um, Bryson DeChambeau winning the U.S. Open yeah. and the way he won the U.S. Open at one of the toughest courses in the world at Wingfoot. Incredible. Um, Willie, I know you wanted to talk about this first. So I want to hear your take on, on Bryson okay. and the whole, the whole situation, but I have my take as well. And okay. I, I want to hear yours first. Okay. Well, and I, you, you obviously I defer to your insight on this, but look, I came away and this can actually be crazy. I actually came away from this weekend more unsure of than ever of the distance debate. And I can honestly see after this, I can honestly really see both sides as to why maybe golf should be reined in, why it shouldn't. You know, on the one hand, for why it shouldn't, I mean, DeChambeau, I know everyone was talking about how long, he, how he beat the course, but he was great through the bag. I mean, I think he was second in scrambling. He was in the top five in putting, um, scrambling, approach, and strokes gained around the green. So he was like, really good, you know, all through the bag. And other guys that actually hit it longer than him, um, you know, Wolf hit it longer than him. He didn't get it done. And McElroy and DJ, you know, they weren't great through the bag. So, you know, you sh- the point is, A, he's on, on that side of the coin, he still played great through the bag. And so it, it wasn't necessarily a problem with the golf course. It's just great play. On the other hand, I mean – there is you, what he proved though was that there is nothing 
that can stop these long hitters if they're on their on their game. I mean, he was able to get a, he was able to hit the ball out of the rough. He got enough club head speed if you hit the ball in the right spots to just get the ball on the green. And it's so also when you're in the fairway, I mean, you can hit nice lofted clubs and you can land them softly on the firm greens like the point is there's nothing to stop a player from the bomb and gouge. Like they can't they couldn't do it. This was maybe the toughest course arguably that PGA Tour players will ever play and it just he beat the course. Like it he couldn't be stopped. So I I I I I, I don't know what to think, man. It's really crazy. No, it's What's, it's a very polarizing topic in golf especially and I brought this up because I I was talking to some of the guys I play golf with yesterday, mm-hmm. we were texting about about Bryson winning, and they don't—they're not big fans of Bryson. Um, I have no issue with him whatsoever. I think he's—he's—he is who he is. He's going to mm-hmm. stick to. He's going to march to the beat of his own drum. He's going to do his own thing, and mm-hmm. that own thing is putting on forty pounds of muscle and chasing distance. Now, the issue that uh, my friend brought up is that is—is is everyone from now on just going to be chasing distance? our coaches from now on just going to be telling players, yeah, you just want to hit the ball as far as possible. But the only issue with that is that it's not, that, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good player. If, if you know what I mean? Like it's, it's distance is not indicative of a player who's going to win tournaments. You have to have so much going right for you to win, not just any major, yeah. but the U S open, especially on the course they have it played. I just want to mm-hmm. give you an example. So on any course in the U S open, Every single course, uh, with the exception of Chambers Bay, of course, there's going to be really thick rough. And no matter where you hit it, you're going to have to play it. So that say on a par four that plays 500 yards and say you drive it 350 yards, Mm -hmm. you still have 150 yards, but your lie could be terrible. Even if you have a lob wedge in your hand, you have to figure out how the ball is going to jump out of the rough. If it does Mm -hmm. jump where are you going to leave your next shot? And is it going to be predictable? You have to be able to get up and down and make pars in a U.S. Open to win. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far you hit the ball. You have to get it in the hole in fewer shots than anyone else. It doesn't matter how far you hit it. That's not the name of the game. That's the name of the World Long Drive Challenge, which I'm pretty sure Bryson could probably win at this point, um, or he's getting there. But there's a reason guys who go for, who try to get the, the World Long Drive Challenge, there's a reason... <laughs> They don't play on the PGA Tour because they don't have the short games. If everyone who played on the PGA Tour just needed to hit the ball really far, then we wouldn't have the sport we have today. But that's not the that's not the case. These, I mean, long drive champions are they're good players. I mean, you have to be a good player to to hit a golf ball 400 yards. You have to be able to put the club on the ball and have it go somewhat straight. But that that doesn't necessarily mean you're just a good player. I mean, you can hit the ball a long way, sure, but how do you manage your game around a U.S. Open course? It doesn't matter how far you hit it. Colin Morikawa is not a long hitter, and he charged down everybody else at the PGA, at TPC Hardy Park, which is not a long course. I think it played between 70 and 7,000, 7,100 yards. It's not a long course. And yet he's one of the, you know, average to slightly above average on tour, and he still won. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the top players in the world, Webb Simpson, players winner, major winner, not a very long hitter. Uh, I was looking at this the other day. Let me pull up the official um, mm-hmm. World Golf Rankings. And I guarantee you that there there may be some kind of correlation 
between distance and success, but correlation does not mean causation. Okay, so of the top five players in the world right now, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Rory, and Bryson, all of them hit the ball pretty far. The reason Dustin is number one, though, is not because he hits the ball super far. It's because he took a weakness in his game, which is his wedges from 150 yards and in, and his short game, his work around the greens. He reined all of that in. You have to be able to do all of that if you're going to win on the PGA Tour and if you're going to be number one in the world. You can't just go, I'm going to hit the ball as far as I can. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to train for distance. But but I I think I just want to say, though, that the the issue – with the game right now, right, is, like, with all those guys. And, like, that that's a great example, right? DJ improved his wedge game. That's what took him to number one player in the world in the past five years. You know, six years been incredible. But at that – but the thing is, these players have shown that, look, they, they know, like you said, they know how to hit the ball out of the rough. They're good enough to scramble, to, to be good around the greens, to make putts, to have mm. good chips. Yeah. At that point, the problem is there's nothing the course can do anymore. It's about the player. You know what I mean? It's like there has to be some way that the course – in other words, the course can't really penalize players anymore. Mm. But at, the only way – look, I think – and th- that's that's the issue. And I think the only way that the course has a chance now is that they actually have to get the right balance of – so, on in this week, it was actually way too hard to hit the fairways. DeChambeau was actually 26th in um, in driving accuracy, which is not that bad, even though he only hit like 28 fairways for the week, I think. Um, so I guess my point is like, if players can, you know, do have good short games and and hack it out of the rough. And they can, you know, they can hit great irons even if the holes are are hit out. Mm-hmm. I understand that that's tremendous skill, but at that point, it's it's all on them. There's nothing the golf course can do. So, like, you know what I mean? Right. And I I would I would tend to agree with that mostly. But and this is something that the USGA is probably never going to do, but they really should. Uh, they should play on courses like Marion in 2013. Yeah almost every single year short diabolical courses to show you that it's not about distance the winning score at marion in 2013 when kind of distance became you know not became the separating factor but when people started to realize like yeah you got to hit really far to win golf tournaments the winning score at marion was one over par won by justin rose who's slightly above average as it comes to distance i mean he hits it he hits it far enough to compete and what i'm saying is there it, it doesn't it's down to course setup more so than it is the game or the equipment or the players. It's how the USGA, particularly the PGA, the RNA, it's how right. how the governing bodies in golf are setting up golf courses sure. so that players are tested in every facet of their game. It's sure. it, you have to have a balance between that. Uh, I want to use the Honda classic as another example mm. uh, of a, of a, tournament that won by a player who doesn't hit it a long way hits it far enough to compete and sung jm back in march mm. he hits it long enough to win but pga national is not a long course it's mm-hmm. it's about seven thousand yards and the winning score i think there were a hand there were maybe three players under par for the entire week i mm-hmm. think the winning score was like six under and everyone else was like one or two and then everyone else 
two other players at one or two, everyone else over par. So, so let me ask you a question though. So, because you you obviously know a ton about this, like, do you think that you know? So you're talking about shorter courses that are shorter. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, while yes, I can understand why that would help some of the players don't hit as long win. Length is still going to be an advantage, right? Not necessarily. At a course like Marion, especially, it doesn't really matter how okay. how far you hit it because you have to be you have to leave it in the right spots, and right. to do that requires more than just distance. It's really like, good course management, and it's sure. it's something I, that you have to develop. But I feel like the only but how I say this, that's true. But I feel like. Then, but the thing is, like, and what, this is the thing I learned from watching the Shamble, right? And like I said, you know a lot more about this, but like, you know, you know, the Shamble was talking about. He's like, look, I was able to beat the golf course because the key was I hit it in the right spots. I hit it on the right sides of the fairway, mm-hmm. and I missed in the right spots around the greens. Mm-hmm. So the 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 thick rough and the trees didn't bother me because I knew. I was always going to be able to leave myself with a good chance to either get up and down or to make a putt. Um, but what I think the, you know, the, the thing is, I feel like the only, the only, just from my understanding, the only thing, the only two things that the USGA can really do are either to have courses that are quote unquote, I don't know how many of these are like second shot golf courses, like colonial, mm-hmm. Or you have courses that have just the right amount of of length of of uh, width of the fairways because Deshambo was talking about this in the press conference. If you look on the PJ Tour, right? They 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 want scoring, so they make the setups easier for the bomb and mm-hmm. gouge. So of course, length's going to be advantage. Mm-hmm. And on this course, if most people are getting in the rough, length's still going to be advantage because players just come in the rough and the player that's closer still has a better chance. What they have to do is somehow, from my understanding, make it so that fairways are... Some people hit it, but the players that don't are really penalized. Mm-hmm. It was yep. almost like the fairways were just too hard to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's why that's why it's down to course setup because none of these courses are easy courses that they play in the PGA Tour. None of these courses are easy. Those guys are just very, very good at golf. Every single course on tour is a considered a very tough golf courses. And if professionals say, no, this is a tough course, believe them. Because they, they know the difference between an easy course and a tough course. And I guarantee you that there's going to be an update or there's going to be a, a move to play with the distances. Players are hitting the ball sooner than there's going to be an adjustment to course management because fans don't want to see guys hit a two iron off a tee 14 times out of 18. They want to see, they want to see guys hit 370 yard drives and make, they want to see guys hit bombs Mm -hmm. and that's going to draw money into the tour. It's going to draw money into the sport. And that's what the tour cares about. I was listening to uh, no laying up and they had an interview with Peter Costas back in February. I was, I I never listened to the full interview back then when it first dropped, but I listened to the full interview uh, yesterday, the day before and what he was saying, I think, is a pretty damning indictment of the tour, but it makes total sense, is that the tour doesn't care about the quality of the coverage. They care about 
the dollars and cents. And ultimately, what's going to drive the PGA yeah. Tour, the PGA, the RNA, the USGA, what's going to drive all of them to make the decisions they are is money. They're going to do sure. what's what's going to give them the, the biggest margins, the yeah. biggest profits, and that's that. They're not going to focus on the integrity of the game. They're not going to focus on mm. whether or not golf becomes a game of power and not precision like it is. Mm. Uh, this is a game of precision. Don't Don't forget that. This is a game where you are required to be precise. So do you think then, based on what you said, that the PGA Tour then should keep the setups? Like you said, the courses are all, are all hard, don't get me wrong, but like on the easier side for the regular events so that they're more entertaining on a week-to-week basis and then maybe the majors is where they, they try to make the changes? Is that what you think? Uh, I mean, from from a golf perspective or from just like a golfer's perspective and a fan's perspective, I want to see them make every course U.S. Open caliber. Because for wow. me, it's more entertaining to watch a guy absolutely struggle on a golf course because it reminds you that they're human. It reminds you so that this, this game is hard. They make so it look can, very easy. So you t- tell me how? What tra- How do you want the courses to be set up? You tell me. Give me. Give me the amenities. Yeah. Longer rough, more penalties for missing fairways, more trees in potentially hazardous situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, make it so that. There is a emphasize. There is a more a greater emphasis on punishment when you miss the fairway, when you make a mistake, because for sure. a course to properly test a player is for them to make it so that if they make a minor mistake, they have to do absolutely everything they can to make sure that they make par or better. Everything they can. Okay. So how how do you do that though? You how do you? It's a it's a it's just a, a condition of of the way the fairway is cut, the way the rough is, the length of the rough, uh, the number of obstacles in between mm-hmm. the fairway and the hole, and say on a dog leg, uh, dog leg right, yeah. there's you can go over it, but what if you plant really tall trees right in front of the tee box or put it so that you literally cannot go over? You have to make it so that it's literally, you have to be precise. You can't just, you can't just do that. Now, I'm, I'm going to accept that distance is going to play a factor in that, but that, at the end of the day, still makes it that you have to manage your game. And if you focus all of your energy on just hitting it really far, you're not going to work on on course management as much as maybe you should, or your iron game, or your short game. The emphasis is going to be switched over to something that is arguably more important. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's just like, I guess, like, the, the thing is, is, is like, you know, it's like, even in, if, like, it's just, but it's just like, now I do think the trees, if they make tall trees, that's that's one thing. But like the problem is, it's just like players have shown, you know, Brooks Kepka when he's healthy is an incredible example. They can just hack the ball out of the rough. Like there's almost no rough that's thick enough for them. You know, what I mean, it doesn't matter where they are, they can they can do it. That's why I thought your idea about shorter courses was really interesting. Because I'm right now, I'm not convinced that there's that there's rough that would make people think twice. Like, I, I'm not, like, look, Bryson DeChambeau said to come into the week, I'm going to hit driver all the time. And I, it's like, these. He, he he clearly was thinking, he probably, it probably came through his head, well, what happened if I struggled to, to drive the ball well, right? But I don't think it's necessarily now going to deter them, right? So that means if that's the case, if if that can't deter players from continuing to drive the ball, then 
then what's what can they do, right? If there's nothing yeah. that can make them think twice about potentially missing the fairway, yeah, like what can they do? I'd I'd love to have someone like Max Homa on the podcast, someone who's very vocal on oh. social media about and not shy about voicing their opinions. I'd love to hear what one of someone like a we Max Homa type would have to we say about try. this discussion because I feel like. You know, you and I can talk about it forever, and there's there's going to be a, yeah. a definite back and forth. But someone who goes out there and plays on those tough courses for a living, yeah, uh, and the perspective that sure. they're going to bring to the table, I think is I think that's something that we sure. eventually could could try to do on the podcast. We'll see. Um, yeah. But we've been recording this podcast for almost two hours now, Willie, yeah. and I want to I want to kind of somewhat draw to a close. Okay. But you know, as always, we we can't draw it to a close without uh, without one final section. Yeah, and those are your hot takes. Yeah. So, Willie, what kind of takes you got for us? You go first. I'll, I'll say mine at the end because I think I have some good ones. Well, I mean, it's not really, it's not really a hot take, but the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I don't really have a super hot take this year uh, or this okay. this week. I don't have anything that's like, oh my god, this is incredible. Um, there's just wow. a lot of, a lot of you know, expected stuff this week. I feel like, um, I mean, I guess you could, you could say my wow. other hot, t- hot take is that the Braves are going to get knocked out in the first round again. Although it's at this point, it's not really a hot take. It's more just fact. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll use my words if I'm wrong, but I, I would love to be wrong. Don't believe, don't, don't make no mistake. <laughs> yeah. I would love to be wrong, but I'm not, I'm not going I to be. I think you gained a lot of credibility on the podcast by picking the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, you gained a lot of nonpartisan, uh, I mean, I I call it like I see it. Wow. Um, yeah. The well, I guess you could you could throw this in as well um, as far as a hot take. Okay. Um, wow, I just lost it. Never mind. Oh no 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 no! I uh, wait no actually yeah I can't I I'm drawing a blank on it. I had it for for a second and then I just completely lost it. So, okay. um, if I remember it, I'll 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 toss it back. But what are what are your takes? What do you got for us? Okay. All right, I got two. Um, number one, um, there's only been three majors. Th- sorry, only three. The second one's the hotter take, but I'll say the first one. There have only been three golfers to win at least ten majors. Uh, Walter Hagen, Nicholas, and Woods. And I honestly think that there's going to be a fourth. Do you know who it is? Brooks Kepka. Exactly. I was yeah. going to say Brooks. Brooks. So, yeah, it's not. Um, I'm surprised you say that. Well, yeah. Brooks. You know what, man? I just think. Look, I, I just think, dude, that. Well, go go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Brooks is a long hitter, but he's also an incredible putter. You don't, I mean, that's that's he's, like part of your streaky. game. You have to he's have streaky. well. He's streaky, but he he can get hot. He's streaky, and that's all you need on the PGA Tour. I think if there's one thing I know, it's that to contend, you don't necessarily have to be a great putter all the time but you to win you do and yeah. he's showing he's streaky he can get hot mm-hmm. look i just think that kepka is the perfect i know he's having injury problems but which is a little bit of a worry but i think his he's the quintessential absolutely perfect player for this generation like he's like he's mentally tough and he can play the bomb and gouge game and he's good through the bag when he's hot and he just I just, I'm so amazed, like, every time he gets into a major, man. It's like, even, like, at, at Harding Park, mm-hmm. you knew he didn't have his best stuff, but he's always there in a major. It's yeah. like, except for the Open. 
but he's yeah. he's got the it factor in majors and some players do have it and some players don't tiger is one of the players who famously has it brooks is one of the guys who has it but interestingly enough as you bring this up and i want i want to let you get to the rest of your takes but okay there's another player on the pga tour who when he first burst onto the scene he was seen as kind of one of the only guys chasing distance if you will okay um and you know, as he got older, he started having injury problems throughout his career. Some people were attributing it to the way he worked out. Some just, you know, yeah. some people believe it's just genetic. Um, do you know which player I'm talking about? Tiger. I'm talking about Tiger. Exactly. He's he's following a similar kind of pattern to what Tiger has. And I'm interested because he's very close to 30 if he's not already 30. Mm-hmm. What happens as he get to his late 30s? Because that's when Tiger's body really started breaking down. Now, he didn't have the torn ACL in his yeah. early 30s. Well, he doesn't have that that massive um, yeah. leg injury that is absolutely killer for golfers. But I, I just want to say, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I no, I just, he doesn't have that that injury problem at least of yet. But he, sure. the fact that he is starting to have some, given how given how much we know that he works out, it's going to mm-hmm. be a little bit of a worry. If I'm completely yeah. honest, that he's falling and, into a very similar pattern. And yeah, and and look, I think that there's a you know, look, I I think that. And I, I think this is also part of the reason why potentially it could rain golf in, which is that, you know, not everybody is equipped or is going to be able to effectively chase distance. First of all, there's a lot of guys on the tour that just, they don't have the bodies or really the muscular, you know, ability. They, they don't have the ability to, to really get big as big as you would to hit the ball long and then even like you said man i mean you're you're risking the chance when you get bigger you have more weight in your body or just the lifting itself where you could get injured mm-hmm. it's a very valid thing right and so that's another thing like you said the, the injury problems man like that's one thing you really can't overlook and mm-hmm. another guy like and i don't know if this is directly related but uh jason day mm-hmm. he he's got back problems yep I don't know if that was related to working out, but I know he's another guy that was in the gym trying to get really big. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yep. like you're right. It's an issue, man. It's a really big issue. It's, and yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's one of those things where it's like, it's correlation does not necessarily mean causation, but yep. it's a, it's scary that the correlation is actually starting to exist in a sport yeah. where injuries were not really related to the sport. They were all yep. like Hogan, for example, you know, yeah. he, he had his, he, all of that was based on a car wreck. Tiger's comebacks have all been either personal yep. stuff or physical injuries from preparing for golf and treating well, it like also, a sport. And also too, you're right. They're all, they're golf, but it's, and it's also, you know, I don't know much about swing mechanics, but also people say the swing, the swings, like if you swing with a lot of club head speed and you put a lot of torque on your, I mean, it, the swings itself could, could injure you too yeah you have to be able to support that kind of violent motion not just with your back and your core but also with your knees and your your ligaments in those knees you have to have strong enough legs to be able to not strong enough legs core and back to be able to rotate around your spine and for for guys chasing distance basically snap their hips really really fast in some cases that means putting a lot of strain on for right-handers that left knee which oh. is the one Tiger has hurt over and over because of his violent move that he's wow. had for years. So do you think it's possible to stay healthy, or do you think it's just a matter of time with these players that they're going to get it, hurt? I mean, we, I think it's one of those things we just need more data. And as, as okay. Brooks goes along in his career, we'll have a better idea. But for right mm-hmm. now, it just doesn't 
it's it's the trend is a little bit alarming if you think about it for the guys who aggress yeah. who we know on tour to aggressively and, work out. And also, like I know correlation doesn't apply causality, but on the flip side, is there anyone that comes to mind? Like, can you think of a player? that doesn't swing that hard, that has had, like, injury problems. Like, there's not one that, like, really comes to mind. Mm-mm. Like, so, I mean, you know, maybe there's something there. No, I mean, I think I think the only one who really comes to mind is Louis Oosthuizen. Um, just because, and and people mention yeah. that he has a lot of um, back problems. People mention that, it, uh, at least some of the analysts, yeah. um, they actually mention it's a function of his swing, the way his body contorts itself during his downswing. Oh, is Okay. Yeah, it's just he his angles get a little too narrow, and it puts a lot of strain on on his back and what he has to how he has to rotate. Oh, so um, swing mechanics. Yeah. Okay. And it could it could also very well be a genetic thing. I mean, these guys could all have family histories that yeah. they don't they themselves may not even know about of chronic injuries. Yeah. It just yeah. it, you never really know, and that's that's why I think we need more we need more data. We need a better understanding of of what the distance revolution quote unquote is going to do for, for the game. Yeah. I I'm, I'm very curious to see the injury impact mm-hmm. about that. That's really one thing that's fascinating. Yeah. All right. What are the takes you got for us? Okay. Uh, I do have, uh, well, I have one more. All right. So as I, I was saying earlier in the podcast, now, I, as I was saying earlier in the podcast, the injury to Clevenger you know, concerns me for the Padres, mm-hmm. and it's it and look, it's it's tendonitis in the elbow, that's a really serious injury. Yeah, and I reserve the right to change my pick. Yeah, if there's a major injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will I will agree and with that. I'm changing my pick to the Cleveland Indians to win the World Series. Actually. Oh I'm wow. Not- okay. No, definitely not a homer here. Definitely not playing the homer card whatsoever. <laughs> no, not at yeah, not at all. Uh, I, no, I kind of like that pick though. Do you? Yeah, if, know, man. I think it would honestly qualify as a hot pick because look, I don't think that this Indians team is as good. You know, it has some holes, and it's not as good as I would say some of the other teams. But mm-hmm. they're playing well at the right time, man. I, I've got a really good feeling about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh, I think I remember what my other hot take was. Okay. Um, not to take too much away from the Indians, but I think I do like it. I do like the pick though. Um, they're, they're starting to get hot at the right time. They feel like they quietly have the pieces you need to compete in October and they have, they have a manager who's experienced. They, they they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I do like the pick. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Um, my take, uh, we're going to go back to the city of Atlanta. We're going to, we're going to enter this, uh, Pandora's, we're going to open Pandora's box again. Here you go. (sighs) You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. The Atlanta Falcons, okay, are going to go six and ten this year, but the okay. way they're going to go six and ten is oh, no. absolutely hilarious. Okay, the Falcons are going to lose their first ten games <laughs> and win six in a row to end the season, because that is exactly how it felt last year. Okay, the beginning of the season atrocious, end wow. of the season unstoppable. Wow. Beating New Orleans, Carolina, San Francisco, all in the back end of this season. Oh, my God. In the beginning of the season, couldn't beat anybody. Couldn't beat. uh, Humiliated by the Vikings in week one. Barely held on against the Eagles in week two. Oh, 
Do you realize who they're playing? Can I read? Can I? I'm looking at their schedule. No, and this this is why I had that take because I was looking at their schedule the other day. Read me the schedule. All right, I'm just gonna read you their last seven games. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the Saints, win. First, the Raiders at home. Win. First, the Saints at home. Win. At the Chargers. Win. First, the Bucks. Win. At the Chiefs. Win. Uh, At the Bucks. Win. Well, okay, maybe, maybe that was that was seven, but I called I called six and ten. But still, it's it's going to be the same thing over and over because Arthur Blank is going to leave Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov in their jobs, and they're going to somehow pull it together at the end of the season. But they're still wow. going to go six and ten, and Matt that's, Ryan's never going to win a Super Bowl as quarterback. That's a bold take right there, man. I'm I'm, I'm really impressed with that with that pick. I, I knew I had I knew I had something bubbling in the the hot take cauldron. So does that mean that uh, Quinn would keep his job? That I hope not. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Dan Quinn. I love what he brought to the organization when he first came on, but the message has gotten stale. Something's got to change. And Some for change, me, yeah. it's not just the coach. It's the it's him, Thomas Dimitrov, uh, Matt Ryan, and Alex Mack. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, man. It's time that that would be that would be a bold pick right there you're right man they, things have gotten stale you always want to be good man i'll be bad as a fan i would rather b- tear it down and be good than i would just be mediocre you know six and ten is not where you want to be yep also kelvin ridley's incredible too dude that's I just realized I was on mute for a second. Um, Calvin Ridley as well. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. They have players who have an immense amount of talent. <laughs> Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, Grady yeah. Jarrett, Tack McKinley. Yep. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's depressing to think about the yeah. fact that all these players are likely never going to hold the Lombardi trophy wearing a Falcons uniform. It's very depressing. Like, yeah. it's, I can't. I can't begin to put it into words, honestly. It's depressing. Yeah, man. They, and that's a nice that's a nice prelude, actually, for um for when we're gonna have my buddy Harrison on the show. Um, we're gonna talk about Atlanta sports where the Braves inevitably choke uh, a, oh, a lead God. in the uh, first round of the playoffs and go home losers again. I don't know what the bracket looks like right now. The bracket's kind of weird this year. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get they're gonna be number two seed, I think. So the seven would be the looking like uh, the two seed. So that Giants are going to be. The, it would be the um, Marlins. Would it be the Marlins? No, it's Phillies. Phillies. Maybe the Phillies. Uh, the Reds are seventh in the seven seed oh, right now. Okay. Cincinnati. Yeah, but either way, I'm I'm not optimistic about the Braves. There's no reason for me to be optimistic about the Braves. The the team they built is not a team that's going to win in October. It's going to win uh, March slash April through September, but not in October. That's just the way this Atlanta team is. That's the way Atlanta sports are. I'm not going to back down from that take. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Damn, man. Maybe it'll happen when you least expect it. <laughs> I, I honestly hope so. I honestly hope so. But uh, anyways, we have been doing this for far too long, so I think we're going to we're gonna hop off for the night. We're going to finally... 
finally give ourselves a rest. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Uh, hopefully a little earlier next week. I want to have as much to deal with on the uh, on the personal side, and we'll be able to talk sports for a longer amount of time. Willie, any final takes before you head out of here? Mm, I'll tell you what, Owen. Even if the Indians draw the Yankees in the first round, they're going to beat them. Okay, okay. Your pick against my pick. Okay, okay. Yep, that's right. I, I can't mean, wait. It's October. Anything can happen. That's what I love about playoff baseball. Dude, Anything I'm, can I'm, happen. I'm actually rooting for Cleveland to not get the second place spot in the division purely for that reason. Yeah. Because right now, the White Sox are penciled in against the Yankees, and I don't want them to switch places. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hear you. It's it's not something you want to see. No, you don't. Absolutely not something you want to see. Well. That'll do it for us. Um, thank you for tuning in. This is a long episode of Hot Takes, only probably the longest one we've done. Uh, but just a lot, a lot going on in sports. This is this is a chaotic time to be a sports fan, and you know sometimes you just have to. If the, you get, if you got takes, they're hot, hot takes. You gotta you gotta let them. You gotta give them some air. You know you gotta you gotta share them with the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyways, uh, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Uh, you can catch this. Uh, live stream recorded on Twitch, uh, live twitch.tv slash Boba Poppy. Uh, links will all be in the description of this podcast and uh, on uh, the social media posts. Um, and we'll be sure to share with you all who our next guests will be uh, as they, they get confirmed. Cause I have an, I have a, a tentative list of guests I want to include on the show as we go forward, but Can't that's wait. all for, for this week of hot takes only willie thank you for joining me as always i know uh it is way late i'm sure your brain is exhausted from uh going from class to hot takes (laughs) it's all good bro but this has been hot takes only featuring uh yours truly and my buddy willie willie thanks for coming out thank you folks thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week